know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of Anglophies, in which we have a great deal of things to talk about, most of which are related to our topic of the month, which is Eurovision. I just heard a couple of people screaming glee. Maya, I'm talking to you. Um, but first, we have a couple of other things that we want to talk about. Um, we just found out earlier this week that NBC has declined to renew Hannibal for a fourth season. <sighs> yeah. Um, hope is not completely lost. We know that um, Dino De Laurentiis and Galmont, or however you pronounce that, are shopping it around to places like Amazon and Hulu and maybe some other networks. So, fingers crossed. Hopefully some good news will come of it. I saw an interview with Ryan Fuller who said that he felt like the chances were 50-50. There's kind of an unfortunate thing where Amazon and Netflix, the two frontrunners, have mutually exclusive pros and cons in that Amazon has the streaming rights to the first three seasons, which means Netflix is less likely to want to pick up something they can't stream in their entirety. But if Amazon is the one who picks it up, then they don't have the kind of international distribution that Netflix guarantees, and that might mean that the international investors would be interested in continuing. So, But we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Hashtag save Hannibal. <laughs> and don't stop watching the show now, okay? We're going to get to the end of the third season. Keep watching it, keep tweeting, keep following our joy and anguish and well-dressed pain. Ever so well-dressed pain. Alana's wardrobe has, like, leveled up several several levels. And I really liked her wardrobe before, and now, and now she is on the roaring rampage of revenge. There is so much that you will love this season. There is Eddie Izzard eating his own legs. There's lots of jokes about snails. There's Will Graham creeping around catacombs like some kind of vampire. There's snails banging on screen. As there's snails um, bang. There's Stagenstein. <laughs> God. I, like That's the moment that NBC was like, wait, standards and practices, what? 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 What, how did the, how, why, how, what does, what does Fuller have on NBC's standards and practices? There's your essay topic or your flash fiction prompt. I can summarize this season just by saying that this is the kind of dark mirror universe version of Hannibal. Yeah. We feel like this is the season where Brian Fuller just said, Fuck it, we're gonna Fuck do it. this. <laughs> and we love him for that. We are also there are many reasons we want a fourth season of Hannibal. One of the main reasons is can you imagine what this show would be like without having to deal with the FCC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian Fuller, you can hear the squealing of joy already. Yes. So watch watch season three, it's doing well. You've got so much to look forward to. There's Vengeful Alana, there's Margot's Gaydar pinging like crazy. There's Beautiful, heartbreaking moments with Jack and Bella, which made me cry proper, like, floods of tears. There's Chilton being the worst human being ever. He's amazing. No, and that's no, saying something. No, Hannibal sent Jack a card and flowers. He retook the crown of worst human being ever. Okay, that's true. But Chilton seems to be recycling flowers as he's blaming Alana for her own injuries. Yes. Chilton is full-on Bond villain this season, right down to the facial scars. He's basically uh, Raul Silva from Skyfall. If he gets his hair bleached, you know what territory we're going to get into. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to get into the Red Dragon storyline, which we will get in its entirety, which cannot wait. 
we've seen a little bit of behind the scenes makeup doing the tattoo on Richard Armitage's butt back, but not his butt, maybe his butt. I don't know. Well, that was a real Freudian track. slip there. Wasn't it, it really was. It was. It was. And Richard has been on Twitter saying that Rutina Wellesley was fantastic to work with and can't wait to see that either. And we're also getting Nina Arianda as Molly, Will Graham's mm-hmm. wife. And if you know anything about Hugh Dancy's past work with Nina Arianda, you'll be very excited for this. Yep. So. Just give us hope, goddammit. I am far too right. attached to this show to let it go now. Right. <laughs> right. Hold fast, fast, hold strong, keep the faith. And um, fingers Eat crossed. Knock on. Let's see. I've got actual wood here, not just IKEA pressed wood. Then I'm knocking on it. Yep, knocking too, knocking too. Yeah, yeah. And eat the rude, who are exactly definitely eat the rude. There are plenty of them on uh, Boston's public transportation. Just let me know; I can send you free range rude. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we are recording this on Friday the twenty-sixth, a fairly auspicious day in uh, U.S. jurisprudence. Yay! It's been a hell of a week for the Supreme Court. I'm surprised. Yeah, I never thought I would be this excited to read um, transcripts of uh, Supreme Court decisions by Kennedy, of all the the judges. Mm. If you don't follow Courtney Milan on Twitter, who used to be a clerk for for Kennedy, she's basically offered a point-by-point analysis of the ruling on gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And it is detailed and fascinating and shady as all hell. Oh yeah, but it's it's been a, a fun day, you know. Um, on on Twitter, pictures of old couples getting married are just always so sweet. Mm-hmm. And it's right in time. Uh, the tenth anniversary of the Canadian legalizing gay marriage is it's going to be on Monday, and this is right on time because you know Sunday is the Toronto Pride Parade. Everybody's looking forward to it. They say it's going to rain, but <laughs> that's not going to slow down the party. <laughs> because there's going to be sequins, and there's going to be colors, and costumes, and probably wind machines, and just like on our topic, the Eurovision Song <laughs> Contest. Oh, well played. So well, well done. played. Well done. So see, we the topic is actually somehow still topical to today. <laughs> when are sequins ever out of topic? Truth. Not in this podcast. Never. The weekend of this year's Eurovision happened the same time that Republic of Ireland voted to allow same-sex marriage. So I've been informed that the party that went on in Ireland that weekend was fun for the history books. Ireland <laughs> does point. Yeah, got that in there. But not for the United Kingdom. <laughs> no, not for you. We're going to talk about the, the turkey, by the way, or at least Lincoln, because... <laughs> The literal turkey and the metaphorical turkey of every entry Britain has sent for about five years in a row now. (laughs) So there must be some Americans who are like, what the hell is Eurovision? I'm tempted to not explain it so we can just have this wonderfully out of context conversation about sequins and wind machines and turkeys. But that would be slightly cruel. Raiden, play act an American who doesn't know anything about Eurovision. What the fuck is this Eurovision shit? There we go. How'd I do? Is that good? (laughs) This is something that, you know, once a year Raiden gets on Twitter and goes, what are Kaylee and Alina talking about? No, that is not true. That is unfair. Come on. (laughs) Come on. I know what you're talking about. I just don't watch it. And if you, listener, don't watch it, uh, the question is why? Because it is actually broadcast absolutely free online. So anybody can enjoy and... uh, Okay, so we will, do, but we will do an overview. We're not gonna leave people floundering. So uh, the Eurovision Song Contest—it's long running, probably longer than I even realized. But I mean, to me, it kind of started in the '90s because I'm Russian, and that's when we were allowed to join. But when does the actual history of it start? It started in 1956. That's right. And I watched that whole documentary you sent me the link to, so I knew that. It's like an hour and a half. It wasn't that long. Which was adorable, by the way. (laughs) It's a really weird thing to introduce people to. Unless you are sort of thrown into the deep end. 
really the way that I think most people were introduced to it, myself included, was just we were parked in front of a television one night and this thing was on. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is like Top of the Pops, but it's in different languages and it's way weirder and it's going on for hours and people get to vote. The point of it is it's supposed to bring people together. I would argue that it brings you together if you're not British. <laughs> We used to be very good at Eurovision. We've won it several times. We haven't won it since 1995, though. And for the past few years, we have floundered greatly, mainly because we've begun to think that we're too good for Eurovision and we don't know how to to play the game properly. And we blame our losses on, oh, it's just politics. And it's because the rest of Europe, particularly the middle, uh, you know, particularly the um, the Eastern Europe bloc, are keeping us out. I think that's partly the reason, but I also think it's because we just keep sending shit. There's this weird thing with Eurovision where some countries obviously try to win and then some countries like to pretend that this is beneath them so they'll send like a quote-unquote joke act and they'll act like they don't care. Like it's not cool to care about Eurovision. (laughs) Which is kind of bullshit because you know everybody's parked in front of their TV going, come on! Oh, that was me this year. (laughs) The alcohol didn't help, but yeah. Serbia! Serbia! I was running around the living room. Serbia was robbed this year. But by the end of it, I really just, no offense, I just didn't want Russia to win. We'll, we'll talk about it because there's actually yeah. uh, quite a few things that I looked up behind the scenes and, you know, news articles. But let's, let's do a uh, pullback. So Eurovision, it, it, as the name implies, this is European. It's not actually exactly like Israel is in. I don't think, which continent is it on? Is it Africa? It's technically Africa. The, the, it's not done necessarily by being part of the European continent. The new rule is if you are part of the broadcasting corporation that screens Eurovision, you can technically enter. Which is why this year, for one year only, we let Australia in. They did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I like their song. The song was nice. Yeah, go Australia. There was some Bruno Mars realness to that song. I liked it. Absolutely. But that's also the reason that Israel get in, Azerbaijan get in, Mm -hmm. Georgia sometimes get in, Russia get in. Although technically, are they part, kind of partly European? I I was born on the Europe-Asia border, so yeah. Yeah. Right, they're like one-fifth Europe. So there's the composition of the countries. Um, If you look at, for those who are curious, you can look on Wikipedia, they'll actually tell you which years which countries joined. Like, it started off in the 50s, you know, it's probably pretty small, and it's really grown. There's, what, 26 countries this year? There's a final that includes 26 countries, but all the countries except for the the core five and the previous year's winner have to go through the semifinals which means that they are voted in, but it, ultimately there are 25 or 26 countries that enter. I believe it was 26 this year specifically because Australia got through. That's right. I think it's more like 40 in, there, in, the, in the semis all put together then. I mean, plus or minus depending yeah. on which year and who may have pulled out. You will know this year uh, Ukraine did pull out out of you know, political consideration in protest, so to say, for, because Russia was there. But Russia's song was all about bringing people together and hope and unity and friendship. Why wouldn't they want to sing alongside that? I I believe it was what the Swedish commentators who literally said, you will notice that Ukraine is not participating this year. Anyway, here's here's Russia with a song about peace. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange hotbed of sequins and politics, Eurovision. It is... It's blatantly political in a way that I don't think I can think of any other way that we do politics this way. Like, there's no moment where Angela Merkel will stand up in the European Parliament and start singing Waterloo. (laughs) Even though that would improve things exponentially, it doesn't happen. So, Kaylee mentioned a term earlier I'm going to define for our listeners. Uh, She said Big Five. It was originally the Big Four, and this is actually a fairly recent development to the Eurovision. This started in 2000. France, Germany, Spain, and the UK were automatically qualified for the final starting uh, in the year 2000 because basically they're the biggest financial contributors to the broad- European Broadcasting Union. So their money more or less bought them their standing in the finals. Yeah, we used to joke, we, well, we don't really joke, but we used to say the only reason other countries got through is because they bribed their way through. We literally did. <laughs> it's not, it's legal bribing, it's fine. It's like set bladder bribe. It's okay. <laughs> it's big five now because Italy joined that list. Wikipedia tells me that Turkey withdrew from the 2013 contest 
in, in protest to the big five. So I just, Eurovision controversy, there's just something inherently funny about that. Why is it a big deal to some countries? Because it seems like it'd be kind of a silly contest, but it's a big show that they put on and it's actual tourist money. You know, that this could mean a bump in, in the local economy for any country because any country that wins gets to host it the next year. Gets to. <laughs> it's kind of like getting to host the Olympics. Uh-huh. Oh, it's oh, not yeah. as Olympics. <laughs> but it does take up that entire place for about a week and a half because you have the semifinals and the finals and there are concerts that go on throughout the city and Eurovision has very dedicated fans who will go basically every year to these places. So, which was one of the reasons that nobody wanted Russia to win this year. <laughs> I would like to point out that Two years ago, remember when Russia sent, <laughs> we were dubbed the Singing Grannies? That was amazing. They sent a village, well, like 13, I think, I don't know, 10, of these 70-something, 80-something-year-old women in traditional, like, folk costumes, and they baked bread on the stage as they sang their little folk song, and when they came in second, just on the strength of being adorable 80-year-old women... <laughs> Russian radio, and I don't mean that with small r's, I mean like the radio station called Russian Radio declared, this is pretty much a victory because you get to come in second, but you don't have to host next year. I somehow doubt they were saying that this year. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's something we have to touch on. When we say traditionally dressed Russian grannies baking live on stage, that is nowhere near the weirdest thing that any country has entered to the Eurovision Song Contest, because while a lot of countries take this very seriously... It's also just an excuse to bring your your high camp, to bring your performance art. Classy is not the way to go with Eurovision, necessarily. And yet so many countries do it, and it's just dull. For example, this year, Poland decided to have a a very classy kind of... It was the year of the ballad. Oh, Kaylee and I will get into it. Wasted opportunity. Just this classy performance of a ballad, and I'm, all I'm thinking is sitting there is like last year you did softcore porn on stage. I'm not sure you get to do classy anymore, Poland. Yeah, when we say porn, we mean sexy butter churning. Oh, the cleaning and laundry. And the, and the and butter laundry. and the laundry. I watched it. <laughs> it. It was. It was. Inter, uh, in case somebody's wondering, what was the actual soundtrack of that? It was Polish folk rap. Once again, not even the weirdest. <laughs> Austria set the piano on fire this year. That kind of just summarizes your <laughs> Didn't they come last as well? <laughs> well, I mean, once they sent Conchita worse, like, they can't yeah. top that. Austria won last year with a really good, fabulous performance by a performer called Conchita Worst. I want to get a disclaimer out in advance because there might be some comments on whether or not we are going to be misgendering Conchita or not. Uh, I'm going to rely on actual interviews I've read. Conchita Wurst is the performance persona of Thomas Neuwirth. Uh, she herself does not refer to herself as a, as a trans woman. She specifically in interviews refers to herself as a drag queen and says that she, you know, she has this public persona as a woman, but privately sometimes is a man. But as Conchita, like, the pronoun should be she, and, and, but she has not, she has specifically said, like, no, trans is different, and it's a different struggle, and it's a struggle I respect, but that wasn't mine. So uh, for anybody who's going to leave comments about our misgendering Conchita or not, like, that's what I am using that interview as my basis for, for using the name Conchita and using the pronoun she. The song was Rise Like a Phoenix. It was one of those really big, you know, fog machine, wind, performances. Uh, it was great. It was very um, Adele Skyfall. Yeah. It was very yeah. Bond theme style. And it was big and melodramatic. And it was proper Eurovision. But the kind of Eurovision that you could listen to the rest of the year. Because there are certain Eurovision songs that you, you, you wouldn't do unless you are me. Mm-hmm. But this was also you know, a year of the political strife because the troubles were happening in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that was really a, a shadow over the entire show in many ways when Russia performed this act of twins who had their hair tied together. I don't remember what it was called, but it was one of those also like, oh, peace in the world and we love each other. And uh... Those twins were not actual pop stars. 
And like I said, this t- I don't know where they came from. Russian radio tried to play like some other song of theirs to pretend they're real pop stars. It was embarrassing. Yeah, one of them was also f- a far better singer than the other, and it was kind of obvious. <laughs> but the entire time they were playing, you could hear the booing. They were trying to block out, or there was actually a rumor this year that there was anti-booing technology employed for when this year's Russian act played. What they didn't count on was the was bringing in anti cheering to get Sweden to win it because people really just didn't want Russia to win equipment. But when that happened last year, Conchita was winning not just because she had arguably the best song, but there was also a statement there. Mm-hmm. And there was certain elements of that this year that they kept trying to play down and they repeatedly, the hosts did keep re- repeatedly saying, this is about the music, not the politics, which if any other act was first when they were saying that, I don't think they would have been saying that. Now, if if Sweden had been first all the way through the show, I don't think Conchita would have had to come out and sit next to um, what's his name, Mans, and say, you know, you deserve to be here. You're so wonderful and talented, and it's this your time, mm-hmm. like she kept doing with uh, Polina. Polina Gagarina. So there's actually a backstory there. Okay, you could you take over because you actually are from this land. And I don't know how much of it was Conchita aware of, but maybe some. So what happened is during the semifinals and kind of prelims, Palina was saying, Conchita came over, they were saying hi. They did So they took a selfie, like kiss, took a selfie, and Palina posted it to her Instagram. There was a huge flood of comments of, how dare you embarrass the nation? The nation has spoken. We do not accept this. You're supposed to, you know, act like this isn't acceptable. You're supposed to show the Russian attitude, which is no. And, you know, with language that isn't, you know, acceptable in public. Uh, Palina posted a comment like, guys, chill out. Like, you know, let's respect people on on my Instagram, please. Which opened a new flood of abuse towards her and Conchita. (laughs) So while I was seeing a lot of comments on Twitter about how, like, I understand the animosity towards Russia, but, you know, taking it kind of out on Polina because she's representing Russia, I felt so sorry for her because actually a lot of Russians were so angry at her for not being rude to Conchita, basically. I definitely sympathize with her, but I think she must have also been aware of the PR game that she was in the middle of. And I understand it must be a big deal to represent Eurovision for any singer that isn't British. You know, it's a, you know, a thing that people practice for and aim mm-hmm. for. But for her to be singing that song in that contest at that particular time, especially with the glaring omission of Ukraine, who said, we can't do this because of the political climate, I couldn't help but be like, go Swedish guy who's basically singing an Avicii song. Yeah. It was good. It was catchy. I liked, it. I, liked, I liked his little act with it, with his little cartoon yeah. son. Or, I think it was supposed to be his son or his like Just there was an alter ego or something. Of people, like cartoon people. Yeah. No, she, and I should mention, I was uh, ragging on the twins from 2014 for not being real pop stars. Polina is a real pop star. There's 100% that song was written for her. Like, there was no decision making I imagine she would have had in anything. Yeah, I, I kind of don't know. I don't know. Do you turn it down? I'm not sure she has exactly the career where she could say no to that. And I don't know who was putting pressure on her or, you know, what kind of authority figures was saying, like, no, you have to do this. So... And it is a big deal. And I mean, it's, maybe it's some, It's also an experience. Like, there was a huge concert. You know, so many people. You're... I also don't know how aware she would have been of, like, the animosity she would have faced representing Russia. You, you know, like, I don't know. I'm not saying Russia is a close country anymore. But I also don't know how much, how much traveling she personally does or uh, how much connection she could have to foreign media. Like, she could have honestly, like, not been aware of what would have come her way, you know. When she what is the world of like Russian pop music like? Is she a sort of engineered pop act in the way that she sings, but someone else is controlling the image, or is she more in control of that herself? Or Russian pop acts actually tend to be a lot of times quite similar to the Asian world, where they are very produced. I think Polina is one of the quite the uh, the produced ones. There are singer songwriters which do their own image, but that's more of a basically guy with a guitar. What's Russians called author song songs, but anybody outside of that is pretty produced. So yeah, so she's probably had you know her own producers behind the scenes kind of going, no, this is what you're this is where you're going and this is what you're doing. I I did watch some of the Russian version of The Voice and was weirdly captivated by it. Everybody seems to be singing the song Still Loving You by Scorpions. 
Like every time I've had a clip, they're all singing that song. I'm thinking, is this the only thing that they have the backing track to? Is this a weirdly popular song in Russia I didn't know about? I don't know. Maybe. And there's there's one guy that's in the chair and he looks like a Bond villain. And I'm a huge fan. I don't know who he is. So the actual song contest, Austria did a really great opening ceremony, didn't it? Oh, I really liked it. I think they did a very good job. They they brought the, the big guns, so to speak. Yeah, and, and even uh, in the closing when Conchita had kind of a mini concert during the votes, that was... Uh... Let's explain the votes. We haven't really... No, not at all, and I don't really get it, so... (laughs) No, I don't think you're supposed to get it, in fairness. Right, well, I mean, there are votes, and then there are points, and I don't understand how that all It's a 50-50 system. There's the public vote, but there's also... Each country has their own jury to decide it from the supposedly objective point of view of professionals in the industry. I think they're mostly there just to correct our supposed mistakes, because last year, in the public vote... We didn't pick Conchita for 12 points. Douzepois, we picked the Polish sex butter. Because <laughs> people know what Eurovision's all about. <laughs> but when it came to Euro- to the UK giving out our points, the 12 points we gave to Conchita. I mean, so it's a really strange mix. Apparently, if it had been solely down to the public vote this year, the winner would have been Italy. Oh, the opera Which boy. I would have been okay with. Their song yeah. was actually really cool. Oh, pretty good opera. Like, I really want, like, a series of romance novels written about that band. One from the point of view of each of the guys. And they're just Italian and they sing to their women lots and then they eat lots of pasta. Somebody get on that. <laughs> but I, I think the, the panel, the jury panel is there basically to bring the politics to the proceedings. <laughs> lest we forget that it's not actually about singing or entertainment. Um... So yeah, so what happens is there's the popular vote and then the panel, and I think what happens, and they're 50-50 split, and I think they actually what happens is just they kind of rank the, uh, from, like, most favorite to least favorite, the most favorite is 12 points, because the points are, might as well just be, you know, number one, number two, number three, they're kind of arbitrary, it's not like, these are not, like, actual numerical averages of anything, it's just, at this point, a tradition that the largest number of points you give is 12, and it's like 12, 10, eight and then actually seven to one right i think that's the way they go yeah and every country that participates gets to vote so whenever a particular country their you know their jury and their popular vote is tallied whoever came first gets 12 points in that vote whoever gets second got get 10 votes so which is why i say these might as well be just ranked there's just something more final and certain about a douze poids than a douze poids i guess yeah (laughs) i think it's mostly because they just enjoy saying douze poids Yes. Yeah, the the song contest is um it's conducted in kind of well it's in English but then they do the points also in sometimes English, sometimes French, sometimes the native language. The rules for the songs have actually changed over the years. Like it went from everybody had to sing in English to everybody to they could choose English or their native language or there had to be one version of one language and one in another. Uh, I think now it's completely free choice because there was kind of a good mix of English versus country's native language this year it was actually pretty mixed usually statistically speaking your chances of winning improve exponentially if you sing in english so for a long time people just sang english but we saw this year montenegro actually had an entry in their native language which is really fascinating although the the lead singer um as graham norton put it if you're wondering why there was a botox shortage in montenegro this year I really like the song, but it drove me nuts because Montenegrin is a Slavic language, so it had those moments where it's like, I feel like I should understand what they're saying, but I do not. <laughs> I actually quite liked the song as well. Wasn't my favorite. That was Serbia. Serbia were robbed. Totally robbed. It, was, it had the electronica breakdown in the middle. and the... They had mid-song costume changes. <laughs> so did Spain. The guy like, ripped the... The, the cape dress off her and she had like a skimpy red dress underneath and it was very dramatic. I also really want a romance novel written about Serbia's entry. I think she's amazing and I want to be friends with her. <laughs> she was definitely this year's Conchita with the song was Beauty Never Lies. It's big voice. So uh, we were going to uh, rant, do a mini rant about the preponderance of ballads. Oh, too many ballads. I just, there, I shouldn't be bored while watching Eurovision. And there were several points in the evening where I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to get some food. I don't need to pause, I don't need to rush back. That boring 
like the Cypress entry was just a guy and I think a piano and I was like why are you here you should be singing at like a wedding or something or a funeral you should not be at Eurovision there was Estonia had a century. This was it was a duet between a man and a woman, and their lyrics were something like, "Why didn't you wake me up? I might have stopped you from leaving this relationship." And it was monotone, and I was like, "And you look just about as interested in this relationship as your lyrics suggest." <laughs> but it was monotone, but it was also vaguely serial killer esque. <laughs> like, are you sick? Did you murder this woman? Is she dead? Is she at the bottom of a river? I didn't know. But he was too bored to really continue on with it, and I just didn't care. I should have been more excited for the murder song. But, like, if you're going to bring your ballad, do what Armenia did. You know, theirs was big and brash, and clearly there was a few air grabs in there. Mm. You, you know, several years ago, like, actually about 20 years ago, Switzerland won this competition with Celine Dion. If you're going to do a ballad, you do a, a Celine, you know? Yeah, Celine Dion was an ABBA was, I believe, uh, Eurovision. I think a lot of uh, big acts of yesteryear were Eurovision entries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eurovision are the ones that introduced ABBA to the world with Waterloo, which is just still considered arguably the best song that Eurovision has ever sent out into the world. Although I think there are some competitions. I think Sweden have almost beaten that one themselves with uh, Loreen, which you may have heard if you've ever been in a nightclub somewhere. Euphoria, was that? The- it's no. so good. So Raiden, what did you think of all the clips we sent you, <laughs> we, we made you watch? We had so much fun doing this together. Raiden got homework. I got I got homework, and um, I I just assume that I mean that just looks like regular normal Finnish people to me. <laughs> She's talking about Lordy's Hard Rock Hallelujah. Yeah, which when it was entered, people thought, oh, they've sent a novelty act. Nobody wants to listen to like hard metal parody rock at Eurovision. Turns out we really did. <laughs> Let, 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 let listeners in on the joke, Raiden. Why do you uh, mention particularly how they look? <laughs> because they're dressed up, they have like demon makeup. I mean, really impressive facial prosthetics and wings that come out. Yeah. I mean, you know, like normal fins. Of course, my, my Finnish friend doesn't actually, I believe, listen to the podcast, so he doesn't know that I'm ragging on him right now. I have finished friends. I'm totally open-minded. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that excuse before. I can call all Finnish people trolls, because I've got Finnish friends. Yes. <laughs> the Scandinavian wars continue strongly on our podcast. Uh, definitely. Anyway. <laughs> I'm totally open-minded. I have Finnish friends. I have a Finnish friend. Anyway. It's so European and so over the top. The Polish softcore porn, that was pretty much exactly what I've been led to expect Eurovision is, based on the tweets and Tumblr posts that I see every year. Which is pretty much confirmed by the retrospective documentary I watched. Yes, we asked uh, Raiden to watch a recent documentary slash concert that the BBC put on hosted by Graham Norton, who does the commentary for Britain's Eurovision, and Pietra Mede, who is the Swedish comedian who hosted Sweden's contest a couple of years ago. And they basically had a retrospective of some of the most famous songs in Eurovision, mostly the ones that they could get to people to perform and probably not charge that much. <laughs> and it was a very fascinating look back at is it 50 or 60 years of this contest? 60. Which is, in in and of itself, is magnificent. Mm -hmm. And some of the strange songs that have won it, and a time when Britain gave a shit. And it featured Lordy performing, and Johnny Logan, who's the most successful person in Eurovision, because he's won it twice, three times if you count the song that he wrote. Uh, They had... Conchita singing Waterloo with Dana International, the Mm -hmm. Israeli winner from several years ago. There were it's hard to really describe how wonderful this is. You really just have to watch it. It's on YouTube. We'll link to it. Mm -hmm. Did you have any standout moments? Conchita was, you know, really quite amazing. They had the the woman who won the first Eurovision there. She didn't perform because she is 
really quite old. And she is sitting there in a throne like, you fucking people are still doing this? <laughs> really? <laughs> she was French, right? I think so. She's French and she looked a little bit like bemused slash confused. And they tried to get her to talk and she's like, yeah, okay, so I won this thing like 60 years ago and now it's a thing. Oh, no, sorry. The the winning song was Swiss. I think she sang it in like mm-hmm. French as opposed to German. But yeah. But that does seem to be the general tone of many people in regards to Eurovision, which is it's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> Look, this is the most fun I have outside of like NBC's live Christopher Walken <laughs> extravaganza every year. And no, America, you can't enter Eurovision yet. We're still mixed on Australia, even though I really liked their song. Okay, the reason, I have to mention, the reason Go Australia got in, right? Australia are huge Eurovision fans. Even though it means that they have to get up at like three o'clock in the morning to watch it. It's a like a proper big deal there. And they've been joking for years that we should let them enter because it, you don't really have to be Euro- European to get in, which is true. And they take pop music very seriously and they kept joking, hey, we'll send Kylie Minogue and they never did. And then we eventually decided, okay, we're going to let you guys send an act. This is just one a one-off thing. So even if they'd won it, they wouldn't have been allowed to host it. I think the agreement was if they won, they could choose the country. So we were all kind of rooting for, Euro- for uh, Australia to win because they might let us host it. Because <laughs> look, there's a Union Jack on their flag. We can just totally do this, guys. And they took it really seriously. They sent a legit pop star with a legit song, which was proper uptown funk ripoff. But I still really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Guy Sebastian, and I believe he was the first winner of Australian Idol. But like, he's someone with a career. We used to just keep sending old pop stars from the 70s and 80s, but since Operation Utree has kind of bleeded that out in, in the UK, we can't do that anymore. If you don't understand, that was a really inappropriate joke. I don't think the U.S. would do well in this contest at all because we're too far up our own ass. So you guys would be like the U.K., but elevated to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. I will like, say... I just, I just I would... don't see it happening at all, even if we could. But, but guys, imagine Prince at Eurovision. <laughs> I'm just imagining him singing Darling Nakina. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. See, I've, I was joking that we should just do this like the Olympics. Let's just make yeah. a two-week event out of it. Let's have heats. Let's have different parts of the world entering. Let's have a fabulous opening ceremony that goes on for like four hours. <laughs> Let's have like every American state enter their own singer and have a massive fight that way. If you don't want to listen to the Supreme Court, then listen to that. It's like the Hunger Games. The singing. It is basically the less murdery, more sequiny Hunger Games. Like, Sondheim would write a fabulous musical about this. There would, be, there would be amazing, like, satire about this. I mean, I'm amazed that nobody has written a book about a dystopian world where all the nation's problems are solved with a giant singing contest. Or has someone written it? Listeners, please tell us if someone has, because I really want to read that. Kaylee, a while ago you sent out a tweet asking people to send you their favorite Eurovision entry. Ah, yes. Um, Strangely enough, I thought everyone was going to send in Waterloo and they didn't. They mostly sent in Euphoria by Lorene, which is a great song. I've no complaint. They also sent in um, Viva La Diva, which is Dana International's song. The Israeli entry from 2000, I believe, which is some proper like Europop. She's also a big deal because she was the first transgender performer to win the competition. It's a great song. We'll 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 put that one up. It's very of its time for. I sent in Moldova's 2011 entry, so lucky because that is my Moldovan garden gnomes and unicycles. Love them forever. Is that the one with like the the hats, the pointy hats? The, yes, yes, the tucked oh, hats. Was amazing. Yeah. My favourite Eurovision entry of all time is Cosa Mostra's Alcohol is Free, which was Greece's entry in 2013, I believe. 
which I think Greece thought that they were sending in a weird novelty act, which is, oh, it's a ska punk pop band with a bunch of guys playing traditional Greek instruments in kilts and singing in Greek with a song called Alcohol is Free. And it was like, oh, this is actually a really amazing song and I love it. And there's just lots of incredibly attractive men in kilts dancing on stage in Greek. Do you remember, was it last year when France sent in like their version of LMFAO? Oh, yeah, and I think they got Noel Poir for it as well, which serves them right. This is what happens when you don't have to go through the semi-finals. <laughs> you get that. But this year, Moldova sent like a proper Chippendale act, and they, did, they didn't make it through the semis. I was so angry, I felt very deprived. Yeah, they had the proper like village people still cop stripper act. And, and it abs. didn't get through. Oh, yeah. Instead... Israel made it through with their, like, boy band, except with the most Israeli lyrics ever. It's a song that featured the line, but before you leave, let me show you Tel Aviv. <laughs> I no. actually kind of liked that song. Like, it was pre-Blurred Lines era Robin Thicke, but at least it brought some life to the proceedings amid all the bloody ballads. Ballads and, like, wailing goth people. There was that entire... A band of like five people <laughs> the influence of Conchita was strong this year but everyone else ended up singing like they were in Evanescence instead yes. <laughs> was it Georgia or that sent in Georgia sent in like a dominatrix she properly stomped on the entire thing <laughs> oh just to call back earlier the French LMFAO band are called Twin Twin and their song was called Mustache and they became they came last for the first time for France ever. So this which year, serves them right. France sent like their classic, you know, woman with a big voice and a little black dress. Let's talk about dusting the turkey because what the fuck, Ireland? <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, we have to put this in perspective in some context here because Ireland are the most successful country in Eurovision history. They've won it more than any other country. They won it like three times in a row. And they've just sort of... I don't know if I want to say they've given up entirely, because yes, they did send Jedward twice, but Jedward also did really well both times. Do we have to explain Jedward to people? Yes. 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 Okay, so several years ago on the British version of The X Factor, this set of twins called John and Edward, aka Jedward, came out, couldn't sing, but got through the finals because they were kind of the novelty act. Mostly based on the fact that they were loud, brash, Irish, and had big hair. And we thought, oh, well, that was nice. We'll get rid of them now. They've never gone away. They, I, I keep on saying how, aren't they, like, old now? I was told last time I did this on Twitter, this was a few months ago, I was told they're 23. I'm like, no, no, they're 12. They're always going to be 12. <laughs> they are now... They'll be 24 or 23 now. I think they're a year younger than I am. I can't begrudge them their success because even for their incredibly irritating, I don't think they've ever experienced true unhappiness. And there's something about that I kind of respect. I saw them on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, <laughs> which is an amazing UK panel show. I swear to God, Noel Fielding, when the host was saying how like they had to have a handler. I think they were 20 at the time and they had to come with a handler who'd be like, you listen to the nice man. <laughs> You do what he tells you. Because they were, like, dancing on the tables. They're, they're amazing. I think for the persona that you see them have on television and their music, that's not fake. That's actually them. And they're extremely hyper. But the thing is, they entered Eurovision two years in a row. Once with a song called Lipstick, the other with a song called Waterline. I actually kind of like both their songs. <laughs> like, in terms of Eurovision songs... Like, they brought it. We didn't. We sent Engelbert Humperdinck with a song that I swear was a funeral march. Didn't he send him multiple times? No, we only sent him the once, and this is why. So, in terms of Dustin the Turkey, that is the Nadir. Okay, let's explain that Dustin the Turkey is a puppet. It's a turkey puppet. Yeah, this isn't, like, a stage name. Dustin the Turkey is a puppet that was on a, an Irish TV show called The Den for over a decade and was considered a genuine you know, comedic performance, I believe. I'm not Irish. I'm not familiar with Irish TV, so I don't really know him or his work. <laughs> I'm not familiar with his back catalogue. But he was submitted in 2008 mm -hmm. 
with a song called Ireland du Point. Yes. Twelve points to Ireland. When he performed, there was booing, like aud- audible booing. Because the song is literally this turkey, and I mean, like like uh, Kaylee said, this is a comedy thing. So the voice is like, you know how puppets have these specifically pitched, like gravelly voices. They're pitched for comedy. So he's kind of rapping in this voice, and then there's backup dancers slash singers, and their entire chorus is just going Irlande du Point. That's it. It failed to qualify. We should state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was something that got so much press coverage because it was just like, wow, Ireland's just crying out for help. It's funny when we ask for weird and then Ireland kind of sends us the epitome and we go, no, no, not that weird, Ireland. So I would I would say that's probably the one of the lower points, but it's not the worst thing. I'm pretty sure Switzerland sent a song called Vampires Are Alive, which was way worse. And I wish that song was better because I really just love that title. I mean, everything Britain sends is kind of a low point. This year's entry? Oh, how do I start this? Okay, so we used to vote for our entry. We used to have like a X Factor style voting where a bunch of people would submit a song and then the public voted for the one that they wanted to go through. We stopped doing that because we kept sending shit. (laughs) So eventually it was just decided that I believe it would be a panel for the BBC because they broadcast it, would pick someone. Last year, they decided they wanted to take it really serious, so they picked a singer called Molly, who has done like backup songs on like club hits and things like that. And she sent a song called "Children of the Universe," which it was okay, but it was very Eurovisiony in its style. But we didn't do very well, so rather than try and build on that, we just gave up and sent a um. How do I put it politely? Why start now, honestly? It's a song that feels like it was rejected from Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby movie. Sung by a guy who was, I'm not kidding you, a Mick Jagger impersonator in a band called The Rolling Clones. (laughs) It's not even... the, The song is pretty bad, but it was also one of the few non-ballads of the evening. It was Electro Banjo Charleston? Yes. And then halfway through the song, it went dark and their costumes lit up. Yeah, they sure did. And then the guy started doing scat. Don't forget the scat. It was not good. We did not do well. Oh, and there was breakdancing. So I remember that I actually did have um, a kind of serious... We're getting serious now. Serious sociological analysis of <laughs> Russia and Conchita Wurst and Verka Serduchka. So, who here has seen Spy? Here. Yes. You haven't seen it yet, have you, Kaylee? I don't know if it's out yeah. in the UK. It is. I have another chance. I went to see Jurassic World instead, which was a mistake. What I didn't know, because Raiden didn't know to tell me, is that Verka Serduchka doing her Eurovision entry is in Spy. Is a cameo in Spy. Really? Yes! Don't yell at me. I'm not sure I was supposed to know that. Because I came out of the theater and I'm like tweeting like, you didn't tell me. Angrily tweeting and I'm like, I didn't (laughs) know. What is happening right now? I didn't do anything wrong. So, uh, Vyaka Sardushka is actually the performance alter ego of Andriy Danilka, a Ukrainian comedian pop act. He's a Ukrainian comedian pop act. Now, it should be noted that despite the conflicts between Ukraine and Russia, the pop cultures are still intertwined. A lot of Ukrainian pop stars are very, very big in Russia. They perform in Russian. Their Ukrainian songs tend to stay on the Ukrainian market, but they'll also perform songs in Russian and they'll get the really huge, uh, to the point there are a few of them, like I didn't even know they were Ukrainian, but um, they are. Verka Serduchka is one of them. Um, So unlike Conchita Wurst, and Thomas Schnorberg, this is not what I'd even call it. Well, I guess it's technically drag, but this is a man who dresses up as a woman for comedy. Uh, but the songs are actually kind of catchy, popular pop songs on their own, so it's kind of always walking this line between being a comedy act and a pop act. Ultimately, it's always supposed to be comedy because, well, it's actually a guy singing as a woman. So this performer represented Ukraine uh, in, in a song contest in 2007, I finished second. 
uh, I recognized that that was the song, not even because I know that song very well, but it had very distinct costumes. And the costumes are often very elaborate. When I was reading all, about all this controversy this year between, you know, Russia being so angry, and I think they even, like, censored Conchita performing during the broadcast. Oh, God, it's stupid. So why is Russia so angry at Conchita Verst and yet so happy, you know, to watch concerts by Verka Serduchka? And honest to God, I think it just has to do with the fact that Conchita is a beautiful woman. And it is angering people who do not think that she has the right to be sexually desirable. Whereas Andrea Nichols Vierka is explicitly kind of like a dowdy, unattractive female character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is also particularly fascinating because the song that Vierka sang was a more blatantly anti-Russia song than anything that Conchita did. Like, I know that they're trying to claim, oh, we're just singing gibberish songs. No, you're very clearly singing, I want to see Russia goodbye. <laughs> it's the most... I, I kind of love that song, I'm not going to lie. It's just the most weirdly fascinating thing. And it was beaten by a ballad, which was disappointing. I, I really need to see Spy now. Why is why is it in why is he in Spy? Why why not? Oh no no it's the um he wasn't in as a character. He was just actually giving the concert. That's even more inexplicable. Was is Paul Feig a secret secret Eurovision fan? I guess that would be amazing. If you haven't, we're going to post the link to that song as well because I remember watching that song live, dancing last time, and, and just sort of being stunned. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the UK gave them deux pois. We knew it was up that year. I don't think I watched in 2012. I'm curious to go back. I'm sure it's on YouTube. A lot of the um, the last few years are up on YouTube, just legally on the Eurovision uh, channel. So what did you think of this year's winning song? Awkward pause. <laughs> I didn't... I liked it. I mean, it's very clearly every single... Swedish dance pop song of the past four years, mostly because they're all Avicii songs. Yeah, it's like Swedish House Mafia. Like, it's very... It's it's very Swedish House Mafia. Yeah. Like, you know how people keep trying to make club music with, path- with Paphos now? And it's just really strange. Like, I don't want to cry when I'm dancing at three o'clock in the morning. I'm too drunk for this year. Stop it. I did think it was adorable when he was so happy he won, but he, you have to perform again when you win. And he was like... So happy, like he couldn't sing it properly. And his act, like his stage act for that song, is quite elaborately choreographed too. You've got to be focused for that. People put money into this. Like this is not, you know, a kind of DIY little concert. Like the stage lit up. Austria put Austria did so well with the with the staging and everything. So, so look, it wasn't it wasn't about it wasn't Serbia, but at least it wasn't the ballad. But uh, we should talk that the tension was that Russia was leading and then like they were kind of interchanging with each other. So there was this big tension in the room like, oh my God, is Russia actually going to win? It was really awkward actually at times, particularly because you could tell that the hosts had been told, look, downplay this. It's about the singing. It's not the politics, said nobody ever about Eurovision. How many Eastern European like gas lights do you think Russia threatened to cut off? (laughs) I feel like... I feel like if Russia had actually won that, Putin would have come out and said, it is I who sung this song, and it would have been like a rip of the wig in the face, and he would have been topless on a horse. Uh, poor and then they would have had the most heterosexual Eurovision song contest ever with topless oiled men on horses. Like, the thing is, I think if Russia won, I think uh, countries would have legit boycotted it. Yeah. I, I think the UK would have boycotted it, but it would have just been an excuse not to send anyone. Like, yeah, we're doing this for ethical reasons, not just because we've given up. Now, the question is, would they have just straight up boycotted or would there have been pressure to, like, hold an alternative one in, like, say, the second place finisher or something like that? Like, this, this could have gotten really ugly, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. I think if it came to that, we may have just decided to start again. It depends how ugly it would have gotten between now and the next 12 months. Mm. Like, it might have been a Hugo Awards situation. Uh Well, luckily it was all avoided. Instead, we were all tweeting to each other, let's go to Sweden. (laughs) Last year, totally did. 
they need to hold it in Stockholm this year, not this Malmo nonsense. No offense, Malmo. <laughs> I just really want to go to Stockholm. Okay, look, if one of us wins the lottery or something, and this crazy half-assed Anglefeast field trip to Sweden happens, we go to Malmo, we hang out there for a couple of days, and then we go to Stockholm. And I take you all to Wisconsin, and it'll be amazing. It'll be beautiful. You all want that to happen. Yes. So, so our PayPal is at... <laughs> so once we make our fortune from our great epic series of Eurovision-themed romances... Yes. It's like primed. Primed for somebody. But I, I'm still amazed that nobody wrote a like huge YA romance novel about like American Idol or any one of those. There must be something on Amazon along those lines. I know that there are books that were totally never Twilight fanfiction that follow that route. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's actual One Direction fanfiction that is now... Oh, stop it. They're making that into a movie. A movie? <laughs> okay, but are they actually casting One Direction? Because they totally should. I don't know. I feel like he's got more... I don't think he needs the money that bad unless he goes into bankruptcy very shortly. Well, which one is it about? Harry. The one with the hair. Okay. Right, well, as we all know, John Oliver told us, and he is right, that Zane is the heart and soul of One Direction. So without Zane, they're nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying. I must have missed that episode last week tonight. <laughs> John Oliver, you are lovely. He's a national treasure, and we really appreciate you sharing him with us. Hey, hey, hey listeners, do you want to hear me just break Raiden right now? Oh, God. <laughs> so, Raiden... Tell us about reading Grey, the Fifty Shades experience. <laughs> I'm not I'm so... recovered. I'm not recovered. You're still not okay. I'm still not okay. No. Um, I, I did talk with Sarah for the DBSA podcast about it, and it hasn't been released yet. I think it might be next week. Sarah Mandel of Smart Bitches. We will... Definitely um, link to that as soon as it comes out. But there was a lot of alcohol. It was painful. That book is 576 pages long. And I finished an entire bottle of wine before I got 15% of the way through the book. (laughs) So that tells you where I was at with that. It does exactly what we expected it would do in that it makes Christian Grey even less sympathetic and more like a psychopath than you thought he was. And we already were pretty sure he was pretty much a psychopath. And here he is. All I wanted was for Fifty Shades fans to hate it. And I got at least one screenshot of an Amazon review going like, this just made him look like a psycho stalker. I was like, vindicated. Excellent. (laughs) I haven't heard a whole lot of positive reviews. Like, I don't follow a lot of Fifty Shades fans, but from general romance readers, the 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 overwhelming response has been one of boredom and general discomfort, which was not unexpected. I know that we have a guest review coming out of someone who is a Fifty Shades fan and hated Grey. I have not read the review, but that's how Sarah categorized her reaction. (laughs) Exciting. Yes. So that's happening. You'll, you'll see that. I mean, it's just the writing is so bad and he's so terrible. He is a terrible human being. And this is not somebody who you want to spend any time in his head at all. And for God's sake, don't spend money on this. I I am normally not a go pirate your book person. Go pirate this book. If you need to, <laughs> if you need, if you feel like you hate yourself that much and you need to experience this horror show for some reason, first off, therapy. I suggest therapy. Second, there are pirating sites. Go use it. Yeah, it's not like E.L. James needs the money. This shit sold a million copies in four days. Yeah. On Kaylee's birthday, no less. So to compensate, I gave her a copy of a night circuit. Yeah, I have to share my birthday with Christian fucking Grey. 
The most holy of days has been ruined by that man. Thank you. <laughs> Fortunately, I had to drink a... so much vodka to deal with that. At least it wasn't the official Fifty Shades of Grey wine, because that's a bloody thing. Before we wrap up, I have one more TV thing to say. Listeners, if you're not watching Penny Dreadful, why? Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. So good. I am behind, but I need to catch up because I'm particularly excited for for Patty Lapone as a crazy witch. Oh, I, I loved her episode. And for everybody who is wondering, like, what the fuck is Billy Piper doing there? You will find out. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, you will find out. She has her Emmy submission moment. And it's amazing. And I believe Emmy nominations are out on July 20th. We already know that Hannibal will not be nominated for anything because they did not air anything. They didn't season three did not air in the submission window. Yeah, that's why it's not getting any nominations. <laughs> but but it won all the Saturn Awards. It won <laughs> all the Saturn Awards. Oh my goodness. And as it should have. As it should have. Yeah, so we we'll we'll have plenty of Emmy related things to be angry about, I am sure. I've got I've got my uh, pitchfork and my torch all ready to go. Wait, what's the worst possible outcome for this year? Just well, again, no Tatiana Maslany. Tobias Menzies for Outlander really deserves a nomination, and uh, knowing the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences as I do, I imagine they will snub him. I want to see Ava Green get nominated. And uh, I would really like Big Bang Theory to not get nominated for anything. That's my wish list. It would be nice if that happened. eh? Yes. I don't ask for much. I'm just saying, Emmys, you have your your options. (laughs) Do the right thing. Or do the same old shit you've been pulling. Oh, and uh, Gina Rodriguez for Jane the Virgin. Totally deserves a nomination as well. Basically, what I want is new and different. Yeah, I I would like to see Blackish and Fresh off the boat get some nominations and not girls. Yep. I just personally don't think I could take another year of Lena Dunham being hailed as the great feminist hope for television when Constance Wu is right there. Mm. (laughs) I just imagine somebody listening to it, say, like, a bit later after the Emmy nominations are out and just laughing at us and laughing. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I've given my wish list, but I'm already, like, ready for all of that to not happen because it never does. Hmm. Unless the reason you're laughing is because all of that did happen, in which case I don't know what to do with myself now. Because I had this pitchfork and this torch and it's all ready to go. That's okay. You wait until the Golden Globes or the Oscars. We have... So many options for disappointment. Oh, that's true. This year could be really bad Oscar-wise. It could. Although, I would dearly love to see Mad Max get nominated for screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? That would. (laughs) Here's the thing. They're mounting a serious campaign for that film. Well, I believe it. But, like, everybody is saying, a script would have been nice. We didn't exactly have one. Drive that way. <laughs> Drive that way. I mean, the script is mostly a storyboard in George Miller's head. In fairness, you still need that. It still technically counts as a screenplay. So. Right. It worked out. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it right now. I don't know why you're still listening to us if you're not watching. Just go. And, oh. and don't read the comic. Don't read the oh, comic. No, no. The comic didn't happen. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Way to miss the point, guy who wrote it and then complained on Twitter about, well, she was sexually assaulted. How else was I supposed to handle it? Well, the movie found a way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Carrie did a really excellent essay on how Mad Max makes your rape arguments invalid. And we will link to that because it was brilliant. Oh, you know, I do have one wish list that I know won't happen. Let's not nominate Game of Thrones for anything. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I have some marathon editing to do because we are late this this month recording. But it was worth it to introduce Raiden to Eurovision because Eurovision is a joy that everyone deserves in their life. Yes, and but you not should every country it. deserves to enter it. And that's, that's true. That's okay. You should I all go America onto YouTube. Fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> you should all go onto YouTube, watch the special. We'll we'll link to it, but you can also find whole episodes, which are about four hours long. So you know, take an evening of it, get in some drinks. Don't do this sober. Never do this sober. Nobody does it sober. Not even the performers, <laughs> especially not the performers. If you can find. A, ver- a recording of the show that has the commentary by Graham Norton do so one of the best things about Eurovision is that every country has their own host who commentates on the evening's proceedings and translates if needs be but it's mostly just an excuse for them to be really really s- sarcastic I understand that Norway were referring to Britain's entry as a three and a half minute cry for help they should really just provide the, the transcripts yeah. after the show. <laughs> I, I just got an IM from my roommate saying, do not mail organs to the network. <laughs> Why would you send a whole organ? That's so bulky. I'm not paying for pass- a postage on that. I don't know. How big could a kidney be? About the size of your fist. I mean, you could get like chicken livers. They're small. Just this tiny little pack. I'm just saying. <laughs> or ears. Cannibals. Cannibals talk about Don't listen weirdest. to us. <laughs> and now that we've sufficiently scared everybody off, we hope they'll be back next month. Where will you we'll always about come else. back? They do. So we'll see everyone back here. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production.